Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, coming to you from, well, obviously my floating home. And we are in the Chesapeake Bay as, as, uh, for the summer, which is always something we enjoy and something we need to do. We need to be above uh, Georgia during hurricane season, per the insurance. But anyway, we've got a really great interview. Somebody I've known for a long time, met through the, uh, through the Glazer Kennedy world. James Carl Butler is a serial entrepreneur who has built four companies from the startup phase to over a million dollars in revenue. He's the author of 18 books. Good Lord, I was proud of my seven. <laughs> He's the author of 18 books. He grew his first retail bridal chain from zero to a million dollars in sales in just three years. That's when I first met him. And um, then he grew another retail business from zero to over a million dollars in just 18 months. So I think uh, James doesn't let any moss grow under his feet, as they say. He has helped some of the most respected and largest retailers and businesses across the country to grow their sales and shatter their previous sales records. He's a celebrated systems and marketing authority who speaks and trains business owners how to create rapid and sustained growth in their business. He is the author of the best-selling book, The System is the Secret. He inspires entrepreneurs to take action in their businesses through applying the principles in his book and his podcast, which I was a guest on. He offers a coaching and training program to a worldwide audience of entrepreneurs, providing insights and systems-based training designed to help business owners grow their business to the next level. He and his wife, Heather, are the parents of five children. James, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on your show, Jim. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I think we... Um, I'm trying to think, we was it like, I, I'm guessing 2010 or 11 when we first cross paths yeah, probably, probably at a Glazer yeah, Kennedy event. Yeah, probably 2009, yeah. 2010, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know if you spoke or they or either Bill or Dan was speaking about you and what you were doing with, with your bridal shop through uh, outrageous advertising. That must have been Bill, if I remember outrageous advertising. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, I actually won the retail marketer of the year and I presented uh, the 68 marketing strategies that we'd use the previous year to grow our business. And so I had sent a package to Bill and he was really impressed with that and asked me to Speaking, I also spoke to the Peak Performance Group, which I was a member of the coaching group for, and kind of showed them what I was doing. And then, um, then of course, I competed in that contest and won. So that was. I fun. remember those contests. Those were really instructive. I'll tell they you were, what, because yeah. you, you only had like, was it 12 or 18? So you had a small period of time to show the, the audience from the main stage everything you've done. I think that's uh, very instructive. And, and you won that year. I forgot that. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a big <laughs> deal. Was that, was that a big check back then, or was that like a $5,000, or what was that? It was 10000 but I didn't actually win that one. That was for the marketer of the year. I won the retailer of the year. So they had a, that was the year that they kind of divided it up into different divisions. So they had uh, gotcha. Charlie, Charlie McDermott won it that year for the marketer. My of the buddy year. Charlie, yes. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep. I was the first person Charlie hired when he, when he sort of got into this whole world and um, oh, wow. helped him that's with awesome. some copy and stuff, yeah. He's a great Something guy. I'm, 
something I'm not known for, but I certainly do write copy and him and I became friends. I said, can you help me? I said, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, for so many years, I did the uh, newsletter guru TV, which morphed into dream business coach TV, where I jumped off the dock, you know, a boatload of smart marketing. And then I jumped off the dock. That was all done in Charlie's green screen studio. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so funny. So, um, <clears throat> You know, what do you think are the big challenges facing business today? You and I are doing this interview in mid-June. I think it's going to come out in August and <clears throat> not necessarily thinking of, you know, COVID related. But, I mean, business is changing so fast today. I think retail is is suffering in a mighty way. Um, you know, the, the, the closure, the pandemic closure is probably speeding up some of the long, slow death of some of these retail stores. But you've got a big retail history, as, as I do in my former life. What's, what's going on? Well, I think retail is, is struggling a lot. I mean, companies like Amazon and some of these big box stores or industry giants are really kind of dominating that space. And uh, I think that, you know, obviously being closed for a while, not being able to work face-to-face -face with customers is challenging. But I think the bigger challenge that's happening now is that if people, if you can't differentiate yourself to show value why they should do business with you, they're going to end up going online and finding the product for less. And you have to really build value today. I think that's a really critical component of being successful. And I think if you're going to beat the giants in your industry, you got to ask the question, what's the one argument that the giant can never win? And the answer to that is your personal attention, the experience of working with you. I mean, if you're giving them attention to follow up, you're providing wow experiences that really impress them. And most importantly, you win in the last few feet of the sale. You know, a lot of times people make a decision over a period of steps. And I think one of the big shifts that's changing right now in the market, in the economy is that people are waiting longer to actually enter the sales process. They don't really enjoy the experience of working with salespeople. And so they'll try to avoid that if they can. And uh, so I think that's a critical component too, is just thinking about how you can show up earlier on their radar and how you can provide information and help them make that decision in a non-threatening way that makes them appreciate what you're doing for them. That could be by offering value or videos or a podcast or even writing a book that you can offer on Amazon or something like that for people to learn more about your business and how it's set up. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of shift and changes that are happening there for sure. One of the things that I'm, I'm known for is creating brands and titles, taglines, et cetera. So you just said one, you probably don't even realize it, but I wrote it down. The last few feet of the sale. I mean, you've written, I think, 18 books. That ought to be a book or a course or something. How to win the day or win the day within the last few. Something about the last few feet of the sale. That really is a visual. Makes mm -hmm. me think of that movie, Facing the Giants. Remember that dude carrying yeah, the I kid do, on yeah. his back? It's That's the last few feet. That was good. You know, I'm such a fan of uh, local businesses. I love to support local. We were, Stephanie and I were in um, Cocoa Beach, Florida for the six-week lockdown uh, in April. <clears throat> and, um, you know, we just tried to order takeout on occasion and from the local, no chains, you know, but for the local merchants. We just... And I, I remember when I was doing these videos, James, a long time ago, I, I, I did one when we got our, our current rescue dog, Blues, 90 pounds, and I couldn't pick him up to get him on or off the boat when we're not at a floating dock. And so I had to buy this ramp. And I did a little research and I found this fold three-piece folding ramp, which was you know made out of strong plastic and it was going to be perfect. I couldn't get a local pet store to own, order it. They didn't have it in stock and I, I needed it kind of for the weekend. And... Um, I said, I'll even pay extra freight. No, it's going to take us a while. We don't do business. I called three different local pet stores and nobody would get it. And so I ordered it on Amazon and it came two days later. It's like, what the heck? No. 
Well, they've done a good job, I think, positioning themselves so that uh, even with one day or two day shipping now, if it's just a commodity product, you're going to lose the sale unless you have some kind of other value to offer to that. And that's yes. why I like that statement. You got to win in the last few feet because that's where it matters. You know, I mean, if you do a great job of getting it to the finish line and then Amazon gets the sale, you lost, you know, so you have to really pay attention and spend, you know, maybe you have to spend a bit more, I think, to get a customer today, but you also have to win where it matters. And I think that's the critical component. Yeah. Um, I think in your book, The System is the Secret, you talk about selling experiences rather than products. Can, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that's, a, that's kind of really how you have to build value today is by selling experiences. I think people today, I mean, you, if you look at a graph or you think about like, a, like a up and down as someone is involved in the sale and someone on the, on the, maybe at the bottom, they're not involved at all. Or well, let's say maybe they're not involved at all at the top and at the bottom, they're really involved. And on the other side, there's the analytical and the emotional component. And what you have to do if you want to create experience is get them emotionally involved and get them really involved in the process of trying, uh, you know, tr like when we were in the wedding business, trying on a dress or experiencing what it's like to do business with you. And if you don't, if you, if you try to do something that's hands off or all online, you're not going to have the same powerful experiences because it's much more analytical. It's not emotional. It's not really driving deep into the reason why they're going to buy from you. So I think that's really critical is to be more immersive. When you think about stores like Cabela's or Disney or, you know, you're actually experiencing something while you're buying a product. And I think that's really important. I think another yeah. thing you can do is, uh, oh, you can. I was no, no, saying, go ahead. Please I think continue. another thing you can do is just the stage surprises. And uh, people like surprises. They like to be um, just wowed by what happens, you know. So when we were in the retail business, we'd offer a gift to whenever there's someone who showed up for a client at our store. And that made a big difference. We hadn't even bought anything yet, but they'd already got a gift from us. So that's an important thing. And then just stage surprises so that along the way, it seems like a spontaneous thing, but it's something that's poorly been planned. And that makes a massive difference for them wanting to talk about that experience. And I can list a bunch of businesses who do that very, very well. But I think if you think about that in your own business, how can I stage surprises? How can I get people more immersed in the sales process so they enjoy that experience. And then also the last one I'd just say is stratification of having different levels of service. So if you go like buy an iPhone or an iPad at, at the Apple store, they have different levels. You can buy like a 16 gigabyte, a 32 gigabyte, a hundred gigabyte or 120 gigabyte, whatever it is. But it, there's, you, there's different levels of how people enter your, your sales funnel. So it doesn't have to be the biggest sale, the biggest process or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, um, I grew to not be a fan of the wedding industry because I had twin girls, both got married within this, within 12 months. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? I thought, I thought boat stuff was overpriced. But, <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously I didn't go shopping for wedding dresses, but my wife would relay some of the experiences and, and then, you know, I was, I was intimately involved with the reception and the food and I'm like, what, how much per plate? You know, it was really astounding. And one of the, one of the, and I'm such a, a student and a, you know, proponent for, for great customer service and experience. And I think one of the things I thought every one of these people that we ended up working with lacked was, I don't know, just showing a little empathy. And it was just all about, it was the first question, which I, I don't know if it comes from lack of training or poor training when you get into businesses, what's your price range? They just want to know yeah. what's the budget and I'll shoehorn everything in there instead of talking about what are your expectations? What do you like to see? I don't know. You know, is that expecting too much these days? Well, I think that, no, I, I think that the problem is, is that people expect more. I think a lot of companies like Apple and other companies have created expectations that people expect no matter where you go. 
And that can affect your business too. And so I think you really have to think about it from that perspective of how can I create a better experience? So, because you're really, you're in the memory business, not a product business. You're creating a memory with you. And if they like that memory, they're going to talk about it with other people. But if they don't like that memory, it doesn't really matter. And so they're going to not talk about you. They're going to talk about you in a negative way. So that's really important, I think, is to, when you're building an experience in your business, it needs to be focused on what do I want people to take away from this? What memory? And that, that's how you really build value is by thinking about things from that perspective. I know you also write in your book about, um, you know, how to create more value and how to be more persuasive um, in the sales process. Can you talk a little bit about that, James? Yeah, I think it really comes down to how to build a better offer, you know, and uh, you have to have more value in what you're doing. So if you think about, like, just talk about cars, for example, if you, the difference between buying a Tesla Roadster versus a Ford Focus, there is a very different, big difference in price. But obviously, if you look at it from just the intrinsic level, what you're getting, you're getting from point A to point B. But one has a very different experience than the other. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Same thing with like Disney World or Six Flags or the State Fair. They're all entertainment venues, but the experience you have at every one of those is different. And the price is very different as well. Or if you think about solar panels, because I used to sell solar panels, versus buying a utility company or buying electricity from a utility company. If you look at just the intrinsic value that you're buying, you're buying electricity. But the reality is, is if you're selling and positioning it in a different way, it helps you create value. Or another example is like a, going to a Broadway play versus going to a high school play. It might be the same play, but the performance and the experience is very, very different. So when you think about how you build value, you have to position it where you want to be. Are you going to be on the high end? Are you going to be in the uh, kind of in the lower end. If you, uh, and I think that thinking about who your customer really is and, and promoting yourself in that way. So that's a big part of value is, is understanding it that way. I think a lot of people focus on price alone and that's wrong. You need to focus on the enhanced value that you offer. It's not just about having the lowest price, it's about having the best overall deal, the best overall experience that they have. And so when you're building your offer, you have to ask yourself the question, how compelling is what I'm doing? And how, if what I buy for myself and um, really kind of break that in every single interaction down from every single step of the sales process and look to add more value in every single step of what you're doing. And so I think that's really important because as I was mentioning, people don't really want to be around salespeople that much. And so you have to position yourself not being that way, be more consultative, being more experience focused, being more thinking about how you're helping them solve a problem that they have. And if you do that and you can push for the sale without being pushy, you make a massive difference in people's lives because you're going to build more value into the transaction. You're going to make more, have a better profit margin, and you'll, you'll have people talking about you a lot more, even though you're not the lowest price. I was talking recently with Jeff uh, Giacovino. I, I know you know him. He's a, he's yep. a mattress retailer. And you know, one of the things that he, because he, they're not the lowest price by far in their market where they're at, but people on their website say they have the best prices in town. And that's because of the value that they create for their customers when they come in, the experience they create, how they really educate and let them have the, uh, try it out in their dream room experience. There's a lot you can learn from a business like theirs with Gardner's Mattress, Gardner's Mattress and Morris, their business. But it's just, there's so much you can learn from watching other businesses and how they build value in what they do. You know, the bridal business is, uh, well, pretty much like every other business. There's large chains. There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, mom and pop type shops. How did you grow to a million dollars in three years? What were some of the things you did that, that helped you do that? Well, there's a lot of things. It wasn't just one thing. I mean, I think that's, the, that's a, a, an important lesson. You, you, have a, you have lots of things going on. But one thing that we did that really helped separate us is my wife designed all of our wedding dresses. So 
we sold those other stores, but we had a, we were the exclusive one that had them. So we set ourselves apart by not having what everybody else had. So we had unique offerings, and then we offered value when the experience came into the experience. So people would talk about us. We got great referrals. We had a referral program where if people would refer eight people to us that would come into our store, we'd give them the money back they spent on their dress. So things like that too that would really kind of promote that were very. Unique How many people could refer eight people, James? Well, they didn't have to do it all, and uh, you know, um, but. Well, we had a few people that did it, but we have people to give us four or five you know, referrals that come in and buy dresses. And uh -huh. you know, that's, that's a great way for you to accelerate the speed at which you grow your business, you know? So, and I, then they kind of give up and you get the five referrals without refunding the dress. Well, but you, you have to have the, you have to decide what the value is that you're going to offer. You know, when we, when I was selling solar panels, what we did was if they gave us three referrals and we could meet with all three of those people, we'd give, we'd pay for the first year payments for them. So it's about kind of figuring out, what is an offer that I can do that's very compelling that makes them say, I want this and I can get this and it's going to be a great benefit for me now, even though it's not the lowest price, you're giving them the best overall value. And that's, what's important. So did you get started? Basically um, was your wife, um, she was designing dresses and then, and then you opened retail. Uh, no, she had a friend who's in the business and uh, together they just started designing. They were kind of buying, dresses from other designers and manufacturers. And so we kind of figured out the process, how to go overseas and manufacture this. So we used to spend about a month, a year over in China, uh, working at the factories and getting the dresses designed. And then we'd import them into the US. And then we sold those to about 150 stores around the United States and Canada. So that was uh, another business that we had too. But, I, but it was just kind of a process of learning how to do it. You know, I, I, didn't, I don't speak Chinese. And so I had to kind of go learn how to, to communicate with these different factories and that was an interesting process too, but it was really fun to just diff master different elements of the business. You know, the, the supply chain, figuring out how to do the, the marketing and the retail part, how to create a better sales experience, all those different elements that go down the way. And so by the time we exited that business, and part of the reason why we exited is just because it became difficult to compete with what was happening as people were going directly online to buy the dresses overseas in different, and uh, some of the same factories that we were getting them made in. And we couldn't employ oh, wow. them, have a retail store, have overhead employees, and be able to compete with that. And that's a big problem, not just in our industry, but across the whole world in lots of different industries where, where the manufacturers start competing with the retailers as well. And that's a big reason why retailers are having a lot of trouble today, too. Yeah, certainly one of the challenges today, and I think since the dawn of retail, is, you know, employees and management. You know, it's such a, I was, I was interviewing somebody the other day, James, who was like a um, multi-generational um, HR specialist, probably, it's probably a more elegant way to say that, but you know what I get. And I'm like, has this always existed where you've got like Gen X, Gen Y, millennial, you get all these different groups. I mean, he goes, well, yeah, I think it has, but it's now we got names for it. And right, I think, yeah. <laughs> and technology has changed it so much, you know, before Stephanie retired from um, her long career in, in early childhood development, she ran a pretty large daycare center. And, you know, back, back in the day when she started there, cell phones were like, I think we both had one for emergencies. Whoever was out in the car had it. Now everybody has a cell phone. But there was a rule, like, you can't be on your cell phone because that meant you're not watching the kids, right? right. But the, it's like some of the 20-somethings are that just couldn't understand why it's a problem n not looking at your cell phone because they grew up with their cell phone. Anyway, that's a pretty long setup to, to my question, but is that, do you think that's one of the big challenges today and maybe why retail struggling so much? Well, I think it is difficult. I mean, it's just having people who are as motivated and as excited about the business as you are as the owner is always a challenge. 
So you have to really involve them and uh, pay particular attention to the feelings of your team members and what's going on in their lives. I mean, you want to help provide well for them so that they provide well for your customers that you're dealing with. But, you know, Dan Kennedy, he talks about how people burn out and like he, he's big into horses. My father's a big into horses. I grew up around horses myself and horses go lame. And he talks about, Dan Kennedy talks about that, that all that uh, employees can go lame too. They, they, they don't have the same functionality. And so you really have to look at what you're doing to create a better experience for them. And, uh, you know, when someone gets burned out, I think that you, there's three different common themes that I've seen in employees that I've had. Like when we had three retail stores at the same time, we had 28 employees between those stores. And you have to really kind of understand what's happening with each of them. I think just ignoring it or pretending that things are fine, that can really get you in a lot of trouble. But one, is, one, one indicator I think that's indicated you're on, a tr- you're on the road to, to something that needs to be fixed is someone asked for more money without an increase in their results. That's probably the, first, the biggest thing I've seen. Two, they ask for time off because they're just exhausted or tired. And if they're a really great employee, you need to make sure that you're accommodating that, not just working people all the time. And then lastly, just finding fault with others on the team. If they start doing that, you know you're, you've got to really pay attention to what's going on with that. So I think just, I think going back to what you're saying about the generational issues, there's definitely different ways to manage different groups of people. And you need to understand that, understand why people, uh, what helps them work at optimal performance. One thing that I've noticed in my own life, and I'm sure you've seen this too, is that you cannot take the credit for other work, the work of other people. You need to right. make sure you encourage people. And, uh, and I think a lot of business owners get in trouble because they're working on present fires without thinking about the future and where you're going. And I, especially as we've kind of gone through this COVID experience, everybody's been hyper-focused on that, but you're working on a present fire and you're not thinking about where you're going to be six months or a year from now and what's going to be happening. So I think that's really critical is to stay focused on what matters in particular with how people are feeling and thinking, are they, do they feel rewarded? Do they feel valued at your company? I think that's really important. I think you've got to be decisive, have standards, you know, and stick to those. I mean, if you have, if you look like in a retail store, we would just, would really always focus on what are your sales per hour? Because if someone was there and they're not bringing in sales per hour, there's a lot of lost revenue on the table, especially when you're spending so much money to get a customer in the door. And that's true with it, regardless of what business you're in is, is you've got to manage by activity and numbers. That's something I learned from Bill Glazer that he talked about that a lot. And he wrote a book uh, with Dan and talked about um, his men's wear retail stores that he had. But he would post a, a list of 15 different criteria that he would look at for each of his employees. And he would manage by those activities and those numbers that he expected them to do. And I think that's a great suggestion. That's from the book, No BS um, guide to working, I mean, working with employees and things like that. But I, in my book in chapter 10, I talk about 15 specific ideas of how to deal with some of these employee issues. And I do address that generational issue as well. But uh, that's oh, in wow. the, my new book, uh, Clear and Present Game Changers. Very cool. We got about four or five minutes left. I want to ask you about um, taking action when you're, when you find yourself in the midst of discouragement, disappointment, or you're just, in other words, you're in a f- bunk (laughs) internal external forces going on like you know we face certainly over the last 60 90 days or so what advice do you have with somebody about how to move forward and and just uh, you know please don't say take it day by day (laughs) some some more eloquent than that james but (laughs) how do you get past the how do you get past the day the week the month that turns out to be crap right yeah well that's something i think everybody's kind of faced the last little bit i think the biggest thing is controlling your emotions when a crisis happens in your life or your business, you don't plan on that happening. You weren't expecting that. And you've really got to control your own emotions and not be so wrapped up in 
how you're feeling. You might have a, you know, a few minutes or allow yourself that, but you've got to get back to the, the activities at hand. And so I think it's really important to break your future activities into a 30, 60, and 90-day plan to get through the crisis and start taking action on those things. You're going to list out what it is. Maybe you can take a few minutes, like let's say I have 20 minutes to think about a problem. Um, you know, take three minutes to think about how depressed or discouraged you are there. That's okay. You need to acknowledge that. But then spend the next 17 minutes uh, working on what your actual solutions are and writing those down and then putting together an action plan. Because if you take action, you'll worry less. And that's a really critical com component. I, when this whole uh, coronavirus crisis started, I read, I reread the book by Dale Carnegie, How to uh, Stop Worrying and Start Living, which I'd highly recommend. It's such a great book. But in that book, he says this, and I, I love this statement. He said that inaction breeds doubt and fear. Action breeds confidence and courage. And mm. that's such a great statement. If you want to, if you're, if you're not taking any action, you're just stressed out and worried about what's going on and saying, why can't things be like it used to be or being upset that the situation has changed? All you're doing is breeding doubt and fear. If you want to get different, if you want to get different results, you need to uh, project confidence and courage. And that means taking action. And I think that's a really critical thing with that as well. Yeah. I took the Dale Carnegie program in 1989. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a, uh, that was a big book and little did I know there are several uh, pretty large events in my life. One of them being unemployed and getting cancer, which I was able to focus on day tight compartments and all kinds of things <laughs> in that book, you know, focus on the work. Think about the worst thing that can happen, accept it and then prepare to, you know, make it sure it doesn't happen. Because when your mind is just like free form, free flowing into all the possibilities, it's scary. So you, can, you actually say out loud, what's the worst that can happen? And then you talk about it. Well, I could die, <laughs> but you know, or, you know, I could be unemployed for five years. And you, and you, sometimes when you just say that stuff out loud, it sounds more irrational than it's bouncing around in your head like a ping pong ball. Um, so anyway, that's a, that is a good book. What a classic. What, he probably wrote that in like the 30s, I'm thinking. I have no idea, but it's an old book. That one came out, well, he wrote his first, the How to Win Friends and Influence People in the late 30s, about the time of the Depression, and then he wrote um, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. It came out three years after World War II ended, and wow. uh, it was a great book. But in that book, he, one of the other things I loved from that book was he quoted Dr. Alexis Carroll, who was a Nobel Prize winner, and he said that those who do not know how to fight worry will die young. And I think that's such a great statement that you, if you want to be more productive and accomplish more in your business and your life, you've got to focus on what you can do and not get caught up in what you're not working on, what you're doing. So I, I, when I, I think when the recession happened the last time, uh, I got some great advice from Mark Smith and he's, uh, he's a friend of mine, Mark S.A. Smith, but he said that when you have a crisis, stop for a few minutes, take a breath, think, okay, this was the one I expected. And then, you know, work through some of those emotions, but don't spend too much time there. You've got to make a list about your situation and what you're doing. Think about uh, what resources and information do I have about this? What can I do next to do this? But what he talked about, which I really liked the idea, was you need to focus on the next logical step. You don't have to have everything figured out. Just what's the next logical step you can do? And so that's why breaking into a 30, 60, 90 day plan is good because especially like what's been happening the last 60, 90 days, you may not even, you might have had a plan, but then two weeks later, what you think you're going to do completely shifts and changes because the whole environment is different. And I think that's really important to think about things from that perspective. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't done a a Facebook live in a while, but I think I'm going to do one today and talk about that because that is such an important topic right now. And um, so anyway, th thanks for inspiring me. Now I, I know what I'm going to talk about when I get on camera. Oh, good. All right. Happy to help. Yeah. So what a fun interview, James. Um, 
great to have great to finally have you on my program. How can people? Uh, I'm sure they want to get a copy of the book. The system is in the secret, and um, how else can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so the the system is a secret. It's available on Amazon. My new book, Clear and Present Game Changers, is also there. You can go to my website, um, SoundLawsOfSuccess.com, and see that. You can also uh, just follow me on Instagram at James Carl Butler. Or if you have a specific question you want to ask, you can email me at jamescarlbutler at gmail.com. And the Carl has a K. So, James Carl Butler with a K. Very good. James, thanks so much for being my special guest. Greatly appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks, James. I really appreciate being on the program. Yeah, my pleasure. Have fun. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with James Carl Butler, Carl with a K. And uh, remember, Sound Laws of Success is his website, and his book is The System is the Secret. And um, you can connect with me other than here on the podcast at getjimpalmer.com or dreambizcoaching, dreambizcoaching.com or all over social media. Anyway, I'm Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. Until this time next week, another fantastic interview. You take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.